this visit to Laredo and the Valley is very important, and we're beginning tomorrow. This is late August. We're back in Beto's truck, stuck in traffic on I-35. Why is it important? Because it's a part of Texas that has been written off by some, taken for granted by others. And I think in order for people to vote, they're going to really want to know that this is real. And and so I just want to make sure that in Laredo and in the Valley, they know that I'm doing everything in my power to reach every single person. So, And people think people don't vote down there. I mean, that's your, that's your non-voting state, right? I think there's so many populations that have been written off like young people. Young people don't vote. But it's, it's a catch-22 if, if no one ever visits or them or listens to them or, or includes them then they're not going to vote. And if they don't vote, nobody ever goes out because the consultants say, well, look, this demographic doesn't vote. This is Underdog, a production of Texas Monthly and Pineapple Street Media. I'm Eric Benson. Early voting in Texas is already underway. Polls opened on Monday, and so far, we're seeing three times more in-person turnout than in the last midterm in 2014. We don't know what that means exactly. We don't know who all those people are voting for. But Beto needs turnout, and it looks like he might get it. In this episode, we're in the Rio Grande Valley on the U.S.-Mexico border. It's one of the youngest and most heavily Latino areas of the state. And for a long time, it's been a holy grail for people trying to turn Texas blue. There are a lot of potential Democratic voters here, but few of them actually vote. Can Beto change that? This week, The Sleeping Giant. I'm with Beto backstage at the McAllen Convention Center, a few miles from the Rio Grande. This is where we left him at the beginning of last episode, before we detoured up to Houston to meet with Ted Cruz. Beto is betting big on the valley. By the end of the campaign, he'll have made 10 separate trips there, three of them in the final month. And here in McAllen, Beto's back on the subject of young voters, with half a dozen reporters gathered around him. Young people are where the action and the energy is right now. And I'm confident, that's why I've spent all, all, so much of this time with young people. They're going to be so much of the reason for our success, our victory on the 6th of, of November. and. Importantly, for the six years that follow, keeping us honest. The scrum breaks up and Beto is feeling good. Remember that moment in episode one when Beto got frustrated in his truck? So does Beto. He waves me over. Flashbacks of my meltdown with you in the front seat when I was being interviewed by the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in Spanish on a live radio program. You're in it with us. You're in it with us. You were there at one of the toughest moments of the campaign. Yeah, but we're better now. It's good. Yeah, we're all, we're all, we've recovered. We're We're going through our our 12 steps. (laughs) As Beto is waiting behind the stage door, he tells me he's feeling good about voter turnout. All the people who got registered, um, everyone who's made a commitment to vote, all the people who got block walking, all the excitement that we see at events like this with 24, 24, 25. Days like 24, 24 days to go. Whoa. God. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. Rewind a few hours to the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant called Los Asados. There are a dozen or so 20 and 30-somethings in blue t-shirts gathered here. They're from a group called Cambio Texas. 
led by a barrel-chested 31-year-old named Danny Diaz. So what are we doing today, Danny? Uh, we're going to gather about 20, 30 canvassers. Uh, we're going to block walk here in South McAllen. Uh, South McAllen is, uh, uh, I guess we call it old McAllen, original McAllen, lower income McAllen, lesser turnout part of McAllen. Danny grew up in the valley. Both of his parents are immigrants from the Mexican state of Tamaulipas. He founded Cambio this past year with two friends. They're out here canvassing for all the Democrats on the ticket, and they're big Beto supporters. But their endgame isn't just getting Beto elected. It's changing the political culture of the Rio Grande Valley. We're only knocking on doors of people that don't have a history of voting in midterm elections. That's all, that's all we're talking to. That's the only people we're talking to. We're challenging ourselves to do that. Uh, we think that the only way to to win an election, to, to, to change the political structure in Texas, is by expanding the electorate, by expanding the vote. The Valley is a unique place. To get here from the north, which is where all of the rest of America is, you drive through 60 miles of South Texas scrubland without passing so much as a gas station. It's straight out of the movie No Country for Old Men. And then you arrive in the valley, and it looks like you've teleported to somewhere in South Florida. Palm trees, endless strip malls, big highways with traffic snarls. Walk into a taqueria and you're getting addressed in Spanish, no matter how much of a gringo you look like. A lot of people have family just across the border in Matamoros and Reynosa. They live on ambos lados, on both sides of the Rio Grande. It's a world apart. People forget this used to be Mexico. Like to us, like, you know what I mean? You're talking about building a wall. Like, yeah, let's, let's wall off Oklahoma. This is Cambio co-founder Abel Prado. Like we have very different memories of the Alamo. You know, it, it, we don't remember it the way the textbooks describe it. You know, it's in terms of like the DNA of our heritage and, you know, the, where the upbringing that we came from. It is a very, its own little cauldron of activity, and so, yeah. The valley isn't just a blip on the map. 1.3 million people live here. But in non-presidential elections, turnout is really low, around 20%. I asked Danny why. Um, I think there's a history of, um, I don't want to use the word corruption just so loosely. Uh, but a little lack of trusting in local government. Uh, right, but there, there has been corruption, yeah, too, like actual... Like right, people are in federal prison right now. Right, right, there, there is actual corruption, and obviously every time somebody gets arrested, like a sheriff or a judge uh, is indicted, it doesn't help the cause of trying to get out the vote. Elections down here have more than a whiff of old-school machine politics. I don't know if you heard, but we have a politiquera system. Yeah, tell me about that. I'm interested. Yeah, so politiqueras are a group of people that uh, basically approach candidates and offer a specific amount of votes uh, for cash in return. Danny saw this up close and personal when he was running to be a Hidalgo County Commissioner. I mean, I've had situations when I was running for commissioner when a lot of them offered me 2,000 votes, but give me 500 bucks or get you 500 votes for $2,000. Like there's a direct exchange. This is like unbelievable stuff that's going on with the Politiquera system here. Instead of, you know, paying a canvasser $10 or $12 an hour to just go knock on doors and get voters out, that's different from a Politiquera saying, hey, I have these 100 people. They're mine, they're my people. They're gonna vote the way I tell them to do. They're gonna vote the way I influence them, but it's gonna cost you $1,000. This isn't just Danny talking. And what he's describing is only scratching the surface of how Politiqueras operate. There was a scandal down here in 2012 called Coke for Votes. 
Politiqueras were bribing people for their votes with cocaine, cash, beer, and cigarettes. That was in a local school board election. It's not as surprising as it sounds. Local politics here is a big deal. When you drive around, you see tons of political signs, more than anywhere I've been in the country. But they're almost all for local candidates. Re-elect Justice Dory Contreras. Re-elect State Rep Robert Guerra. You don't see many Beto signs. Democrats win around here with 70% of the vote, which means that by the time the general election rolls around, all the races for Congress and the state legislature have already been decided. And statewide and national races? Why bother? The Republicans always win anyway. That's been the attitude. The Cambio guys are trying to change that. People always ask, well, why don't Latinos vote? Why don't they vote? You know, when, I'm, when I find myself in D.C. or places like that. Rico Garcia is Cambio's 27-year-old lawyer. Everyone who works for Cambio is young, like some as young as 16. We're driving down to South McAllen in Rico's BMW a few minutes after I finish up with Danny. Rico has been politically active his whole life. His mother used to run local campaigns in the Valley. But when Trump won, Rico got involved on a whole nother level. I was at the, the Driscoll, which is in Austin, which is the headquarters for the people in like the kind of the Dems in Austin to watch the results because we all thought Hillary was going to win. The description my brother had and I had was like, this is kind of like Hogwarts after Voldemort took over. It was like this terribly sad kind of a place. A political campaign, especially in Texas, it's a huge organization. For a Senate race, you got to staff up real quick. Field directors, web designers, volunteer coordinators. But here's the problem. There are job sites that send you tons of bad resumes to sort through or make you wait for the right candidates to apply for the job. That's not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com underdog to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the US. This rating comes from hiring sites with over a thousand reviews on Trustpilot. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address ziprecruiter.com slash underdog. That's ziprecruiter.com slash underdog. Say it with me one more time. ziprecruiter.com slash underdog. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We stop on a block full of brightly colored bungalows. Some of them are surrounded by chain link fences and barbed wire. Everyone has a dog. There's Norteño music coming from someone's front yard. A young woman meets us in the street. Yeah, my name is Sarah Lopez. <laughs> Wait, that, that's, that's it? That's the uh, only thing I get to know are. about you? I'm 20 you? years old. I'm studying accounting at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Um, I like politics. <laughs> Sarah's from Monterrey, Mexico, and she's a dreamer, which means she's an undocumented immigrant who was brought over to the U.S. as a child. She's protected under DACA, but a lot of politicians, Ted Cruz among them, want to end that program. 
Danny tells me that Sarah is very good at canvassing. Sarah's like the MVP of like getting doors open. Sarah is the bomb. Yeah. Sarah, Rico, and I walk up to a stucco house. Tidy lawn, terracotta patio, a cockatiel sitting in a cage on the front porch. There's a big gate blocking our entrance, but we can hear someone is working in the yard. Hola. Buenos dias, señora. A middle-aged woman appears from the side of the house. Hola. Señora. Hola, señora. Buenos dias. Somos voluntarios con Cambio Texas. Estamos yendo alrededor de las comunidades para informarles sobre las elecciones. Sarah tells her she's with Cambio Texas, that they're going around to the communities informing people about the election. Early voting is coming up. She hands the woman a flyer. According to Cambio's own data, this is a woman who rarely votes. Chances are probably slim that she will this year. Still, it's a contact, and that's actually a pretty good outcome. A lot of places we approach, no one opens the door, even though we can tell they're inside. Have you ever had a problem with dogs? Well, not a problem. When, actually, I went block walking on Thursday, and we went to this home, and it was kind of like that, like, really, like, far in. And Chihuahuas we went in. are the worst, so be careful. Yes, like, I'm not scared they're, of the They're the big ones dogs. that always get me when I walk my dogs. Later, we meet a guy named George Casas. He's 68, a Vietnam vet. Says he did 22 months over there. He's got a white Fu Manchu and a T-shirt with a bald eagle, an American flag, and the letters USA. Says President Trump is one of the main reasons he wants to vote this year. Well, the way he, the way he talks, man, you know, the way he degrades people, you know, and what he's doing to the, you know, to the rise and whatever, and, and uh, he doesn't, he doesn't care what type of language he uses, nothing like that. So he just go ahead, you know, former president said, you know, they don't talk, they didn't talk like that. <laughs> this guy is too disrespectful to everybody. Still, he sat out the 2016 election. But, you know, I'd like to look at that vote for a long time. And, you know, I'm not too familiar with the... With a pr- procedure right now, so yeah, I'm gonna do this here. Yeah, there we go. Very, very cool. Very cool. When we don't vote, we see what happens. And yeah, stuff. really. Yeah. So thank you. And you like this guy, Beto? Yeah, I've, I've heard him. I've heard him a few times, like in TV and stuff like that. But and uh, well, I read the paper every day, so anything, everything comes out in the news. So. What do you think about Cruz? Uh, nah, I, I don't think I'd vote for him. <laughs> He's, I don't know, he just goes this way and then that way and he talks about people like, you know, like, the, I think he's following the footsteps of the president, so, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't vote for him. Not every conversation goes like this. Um, organization is trying to increase the Democratic vote here in the Rio Grande Valley, and I was wondering if you were going to vote these midterms. No, we don't. We don't want Papa. Thank you. We don't vote. No, no, uh, if you don't mind me asking, can I ask you why? It's just, uh, I'm not, I don't like to vote. You don't like to vote? The guy in this doorway is big. He's not wearing a shirt, has a few tattoos. I don't want to get into details, so. All right. Okay, good luck, guys. If we could do something to. to no, 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 it's just, it's just a, personal, it's a personal thing. All right. Well, appreciate it, guys. Good luck. Okay. Thank you so much. Hold on. Rico says this happens a lot. But on our drive away from the neighborhood, he sounds hopeful. Basically, everyone, every door you saw, though, has not voted in a midterm, I think, in their like voting life, as far as we know, data wise. So, 
we're getting them to come out to a midterm, and that's um, something that's going to be kind of a big, a big deal, hopefully. Turnout rates being low, we don't get we, we get ignored. So then apathy grows and grows and grows, and you know it is a low income spot. So people got shit to do, they got things to do. Like there's all these things that kind of add up as to why we have a low turnout, and then why we get ignored, and then why you know all that stuff happens. The level of apathy that these guys are up against, it's not just a valley phenomenon. I think that there are large portions of the Latino electorate that feel ignored in this state. Cristina Tsinsun Ramirez is the founder of JOLT, an organization that's trying to build the political power of Latinos across Texas. In March, after Beto barely won or even flat out lost many of the state's most heavily Latino counties in the Democratic primary, Cristina wrote an op-ed encouraging him to boost his outreach to the community. I thought Beto was running a good campaign, but for him to win, he needed to run a great campaign. And that meant that he had to shift his strategy to talk more deeply about the issues impacting the Latino community, go to them, not wait for them to come to him. After that op-ed, Beto called me within a few hours and asked, what would you be doing differently? And how, talked a little bit about their strategy. And I um, appreciate that. And also, Joel's job is to make candidates stronger and better by being honest with them about where they're failing and where they can do better. Latino Texans aren't all Democrats. Republicans like George W. Bush and Kay Bailey Hutchison used to get support from nearly half of Latino voters here. And exit polls showed that Governor Greg Abbott won 44% of the Latino electorate in 2014. Trump? He did much, much worse. One study put him at 18%. But if progressive politicians believe they can mobilize Latino voters simply by talking about ICE raids and family separation and the president's wild anti-immigrant rhetoric, well, Christina thinks they're wrong. Immigration, to be clear, is a very important issue to the Latino community, especially for young Latinos. But it's actually not the number one issue. The number one issue is health care. A lot of candidates kind of tick off like, well, I, did, I talked to some Spanish language media, thus that was my Latino strategy. When the truth is that the majority of Latinos in the state primarily speak English. So if you ask any campaign, how much money are you spending going out and talking to um, Latino voters? Tell me about your Latino outreach strategy. Um, you would be surprised to learn that most campaigns I have found have no strategy whatsoever. What, what past campaigns have done this the best? I'm, I'm a little quiet because I don't think that there's great examples so far. Jolt recently released a survey of young Latino voters. It's called We Are Texas. And the data is striking for two reasons. First, it shows how Latinos are growing into the dominant ethnic group in the state. Second, it shows just how detached most Latino Texans are from politics and the amount of work that'll be required to turn them into an electoral juggernaut. In Texas, we make up 40% of the state's population, but we only make up 27% of the state's electorate. Um, and the reason that is is because we have a high foreign-born population. We're also extremely young population. So in Texas, one in two people under the age of 18 is Latino. You're really seeing the surge and growth of the Latino population and young people. Every year for the next decade, 200,000 Latino Texans will turn 18. By 2028, That'll mean around 2 million additional young Latino voters. But how many of them will actually vote? If nothing changes, the answer is going to be not many. Jolt's report describes the Latino vote in Texas as a leaky pipe. You start with Latinos as 40% of the total population. You take out the non-citizens and under-18s, throw in low registration and low turnout rates, 
and you end up with Latinos making up only 18% of the vote. In 2016, registered Latino voters cast ballots at around half the rate of non-Latino voters. And the young Latinos Jolt surveyed? 50% of them didn't trust politicians or believe in the impact of voting. There's two real roadblocks. One is lack of understanding about um, politics. Um, that's a real roadblock. And then the second one is just feeling really cynical um, about the candidates, about whether they'll take strong enough stances for the community. Um, people have had to sit back and wait and see. Now, we assume that the Latino community knows that they're a sleeping giant and they're just not acting on it, and that someone's talking to them and informing them of this power. There's been so little investment in our community that I just don't think that's the case. Life insurance is really important, but one-third of people don't have it. That's because it's really hard to buy. You have to work out what you need, then do the research to find the best quote and hope you don't get swindled along the way. It's not a good way to shop. So Policy Genius made the whole process a lot simpler. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies to find the best policy for you. All it takes is two minutes to get a quote. And even if you don't know the first thing about insurance, they've got all the tools to get you up to speed. I've looked over the Policy Genius site, and it's easy to read, it's intuitive, and it gives you all the information you need in one place. So whether you know a lot about life insurance or nothing at all, start your search at policygenius.com. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes and make an informed decision for you and your loved ones. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Jolt and Cambio Texas are trying to wake the sleeping giant. But they're new organizations. They're small. They can only touch so many people. So here's the, the, the problem. For this assignment, examine the causes and effects of poverty in the RGD primarily and in America. I spend one morning in McAllen at South Texas College in Richard Coronado's freshman composition class. It's a little after 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning when I arrive. Most of the students are young, 18, 19, 20. They're all citizens and they're all eligible to vote. Professor Coronado lets me take over his class for a few minutes. Do you think you're going to vote in this election? Can I, can I get like a show of hands? Who, like, who, who thinks they're going to vote in this election in four weeks? Like pretty sure they're going to vote. There are 17 students in this class. Around a third of them very tentatively raise their hands. Have you guys, have you guys heard of Beto O'Rourke? I get blank stares. No? You haven't heard of him at all? No. no. Have you heard of Ted Cruz? Some murmurs of recognition, but pretty much yeah. nothing. Is anyone actually, is anyone like enthusiastic about this election? Again, nothing. Yeah, it's like fine, totally fine, acceptable if you're not. But if anyone is, I'd, I'd be curious. A lot of people, younger people are going more towards the whole work. Yeah. And you said, I mean, you said a lot of young people are enthusiastic about O'Rourke, but I'm, there's 17 young people in this room and no one's telling me they're enthusiastic about Are you enthusiastic about him? Um, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I know a lot of my personal friends and I know a lot of people I work with, uh, they, they lean towards, more towards him. A lot of my family members also. Well, but what about you? Um, well, I mean, I'm not registered to vote, but if I had, like... If Could I, you have registered? Huh? Could you have registered? Yes. So you'd, you'd just... I just, just had other things 
forgot and I kind of don't care because like politics isn't really my thing. Yeah. But like. I'm an intruder in a mid-morning freshman class, and I'm carrying a big microphone. Some of these students didn't want to give me the time of day. I'm not going to kid myself that this is some scientific sample. It turns out a few students here actually are excited about the election. I mean, I'm kind of excited. I mean, there's like a lot of commotion with this Beto O'Rourke yeah. figure in politics. I've seen him like all over the internet, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just him campaigning and like a lot of younger people just talking about him. This is Christian. He's got curly hair and a nose ring. He's 18. Uh, yeah, I, like, I like some of his, uh, like his policies on health care and education, like trying to bring uh, back like the Affordable Care Act and also like uh, trying to legalize marijuana also. I feel like that would help down here with a lot of the violence because I have... Uh, There's another student here named Pedro. He's older, 32, outspoken. Tells me he works in law enforcement. He voted for Obama both times, then went for Trump in 2016. He's conscientious about how he votes, thinks through the issues. He likes Cruz on guns and law and order. He likes Beto on most everything else. I think the lesser of two evils would be Beto. Um, I even worked out a list of the pros for Beto, the pros for Cruz, and unfortunately there's a lot more pros for Beto than there is for Cruz. I mean, you can't really agree with everything that, ever, that each candidate will represent, but if you have to pick from one of them, I, I would go with Beto. But most people in this class don't get close to that kind of engagement, and the campaigns aren't engaging with them either. Have you guys been contacted by any of the campaigns? Like, have you gotten, they've like sent out text messages and stuff? You haven't gotten like a random text message, you know, be like, hi, I'm like, Luis, I'm working for Beto's campaign. Are you doing, are you, are you voting? No. No, I haven't. None of it. Okay. We're a little bit um, uh, exiled, if you will, from the rest of the state as far as certain campaigns. Do you know that Beto's having a rally in McAllen on Saturday? No, Actually, I, I didn't even know that. Did not know that. Two young women are sitting in front of me during class. I ask if they'll stay afterward. They both say they're registered to vote, but they aren't planning to cast a ballot in 2018. Like, I'm not really into polit like political stuff because I feel like they, they just promise like stuff and they don't like when they win or something, they don't like. Like how do you mean, like how do I say it? like they don't accomplish what they they said they would do so that's why I'm not really into like politics. That's Maria. She's 20. It's not like promise that they'll do it. Like you don't know if they're really gonna do it. Andrea is 18. And so you and you you have never heard of Beto O'Rourke. Um, I've heard of Beto like once in a while, but like I don't really know more about him like mm -hmm. a lot. And have you heard, you've heard of Ted Cruz? Um, yes. Do you know, like, what they stand for, the two of them? Uh, no. Do you know about, like, you know, like, Dreamers, you know, who came over when they were younger? What do you think Dreamers should be allowed to stay in the U.S.? Yeah. Yes. They should. If they've been here long enough and they haven't done anything, like, why can't they just stay? Like, they're, if they seem like good citizens, like, they could stay. And what, what do you guys think of the wall? Waste think, of money. Yeah. Like, U.S. like needs Mexico in like in many ways. These policy positions, they might as well be lifted word for word from the Beto for Texas website. But Maria and Andrea don't know that. 
So you know like Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz have like very, very different positions on what we're talking about now. I've never heard of like either or, so yeah. I don't like, really know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not really into that, like political. A few weeks ago, the Guardian newspaper ran a long article on Beto and the voters he's trying to reach. The story ended with a 21-year-old cook named Sebastian Esquivel, who told the reporter that he didn't know who Beto or Cruz were and said it didn't matter who won anyway. After reading the article, Beto called the restaurant where Sebastian worked, talked to him about the issues, and arranged for him to register to vote. It was a nice story, and Beto's campaign sent out an email blast about it. But Beto can only reach so many Sebastians, and there are a lot of Sebastians in Texas. I mean, there are a lot of Sebastians in Richard Coronado's 10 a.m. freshman composition class. Two days ago, Beto starts his morning near a bilingual elementary school in southeast Austin. It's drizzling, the field is muddy, and there's a crowd of around 100 supporters, many standing under umbrellas. Beto hops onto a stepladder and grabs a bullhorn. Buenos dias! Beto's voice sounds pretty hoarse. Since Monday, he's been traveling the state on his Vote with Beto tour. He's done nine events in the last 24 hours. The combined two-day total in 2014 for the first two days of early voting was 27,000 people in Travis County. The combined two-day total in 2018 is 83,000 people. We've got to keep this going all the way through. We're counting on the people who are here right now to make sure that we get the word out. You have voted or you're about to vote. You now need to take a picture of yourself, post it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Twitter. In 2018, if you have not done this, you do not exist. And the action did not happen. Everyone needs to know that we existed that we were here. After Beto finishes his eight-minute stump speech, he starts making his way toward his van. Staffers and volunteers make a human chain to try to give him a pathway to exit. But Beto keeps talking with anyone who calls his name, taking selfies, answering questions. At one point, Cynthia Cano, his deputy campaign manager, has her back pressed up against his waist, making sure he doesn't topple over as he reaches into the crowd. Oh, that deserves a hug, sir. Here we go. We're going to grab this picture really quick, and then we got to head out, guys. As he's getting into the van, I manage to get in a question. I ask him if the early voting totals have surprised him so far. I am a little bit. Uh, it's it's big, but it's big, bigger than, than we thought was, was possible, and it's really encouraging. It's ever El Paso. I think had the greatest uh, increase 2014 to 2018, but Austin's at presidential levels, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, um, all blowing the, the previous mark out of the water. Yeah, I saw even the Valley was, was pretty high. Did you see that? The, I, the, the Valley, which was a, a point of concern for a lot of people after the primary, is, is looking really good. It's looking really good. No one knows exactly what this means yet. For Beto, for the Rio Grande Valley, for that sleeping giant, the Latino vote. But in this crowd, less than two weeks before election day, there's a sense anything can happen. Next week on Underdog, Beto has been trailing Cruz in nearly every poll. 
what are the chances they're missing something? In our last episode before election day, we go out on the road with Beto and crunch the numbers with some of the best polling minds in the biz. Underdog is a co-production of Texas Monthly and Pineapple Street Media. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Brian Standifer, who also scored and mixed the show. Underdog is produced by Chris Berube and edited by Joel Lovell, with help from Jonathan Menhivar. Our theme is Bloodhounds on My Trail, written, produced, and performed by the Black Angels, courtesy of Light in the Attic Records. Jorge Castillo played guitar for the score. I wrote, reported, and hosted this thing. I'm Eric Benson. Thanks for listening.